everyone and welcome to what I believe is episode five of the Zero FX, Zero Fucks, still at this point in the podcast series, we've still not quite worked out what the fuck it's called, but there we go. Um, today we have with us Dave Kennedy, which is, he's like cyber Jesus, so that's pretty amazing. Um, so <laughs> thanks so much for coming on, Dave. That's a, that's a first reference I've heard of that. I uh, appreciate the, the compliment, I, I think, but uh, you know, thank you so much and uh, thanks for having me on. This is a great, great, uh, great podcast. Can't wait to be on it. Yeah, you, uh, you probably don't need to introduce yourself because everyone knows who you are, but maybe give us a little intro so we can, uh, yeah, so we can hear, hear from you. Sure. Yeah. My name is Dave Kennedy. Been in the security industry for over 20 some years, which means I'm getting older and older uh, every day. Um, but I started two companies, Trusted Second Binary Defense. We're a global company focusing on um, cybersecurity. My whole career has always been technical. Um, you know, I wrote the Social Engineer Toolkit, Magic Unicorn, uh, co-authored the book, uh, Metasploit, the Penetration Testers Guide really big on community and helping other folks out, which is really my big mission is, is, you know, to, to help new folks coming into the industry, both from a diversity perspective and everything else that's going on in this industry and changing it for the better and really trying to help, you know, people get better with security and ultimately protect the world uh, has been my whole goal. But I've uh, been real fortunate. I've been, uh, I helped out the TV show, Mr. Robot. Um, and, and Chris, uh, Remy Malik actually mentioned my name on the show, which is really cool. He was impersonating somebody via social engineering and said, Oh, I'm Dave Kennedy. So that was kind of cool. And, uh, I was in a Chris Brown rap video, believe it or not, um, in the back hacking while there was like dancers doing flips and stuff in the background. Never thought hacking was that cool. So that's awesome. And then uh, testified in front of Congress a few times and uh, really just enjoy this this industry, this community and everything else about it. It's been awesome. That's amazing. That's, like, that, that's some introduction, isn't it? From Mr. <laughs> Robot to Congress. Wow. Yeah, I'll probably never do Congress again. I would be happy to help out on a TV show, though. So uh, I'm not big into the whole politics thing. I don't really follow much. So, um, but uh, you know, it was it was awesome. Great, great experiences that uh, I think kind of forge you for who you are today, right? I told you, it was Cyber Jesus. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> never would have thought a kid in my basement uh, being in a rap video and on TV. Who would have ever thought that, right? <laughs> um. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. So I think. We said we were going to talk about kind of mental health in cybersecurity because I think it's quite a big topic at the moment. Um, and I think it's something that impacts a lot of people in cybersecurity, maybe more so than in other industries. Um, so I guess my first question is, um, what kind of impacts do you see that burnout or imposter syndrome has with mental health? Because I think burnout and imposter syndrome, they come up a lot when we talk about mental health in cyber. Yeah, I hear this a lot, unfortunately. And, um, you know, this this industry is is one that, you know, it's it's such a, a new and evolving industry that there's so much happening out there at a given time, right? You see all these hackers breaching companies and all of these things that are happening on the news. And there's people behind, you know, those organizations and companies that are doing incident responses or trying to ramp up a already neglected security program or basically playing catch up for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of neglect in technology. And so, you know, we have a lot of work to do. Um, and, and with that, you know, there's expectations. And, and I think the industry is kind of at fault at this too, you know, because we, we pride ourselves on, you know, oh, I was up till two or three or four o'clock in the morning hacking this or building this or doing that. Or, you know, hey, I, I, you know, I haven't slept in four days and I was able to stop this, you know, breach from occurring. Or, you know, in order for me to learn what I need to today, because the skills are moving so fast, you know, I need to put in you know, 80 hours a week in order to be successful in this career. And I think the burnout aspect of things is, is very real. I've, I've hit it a number of stages uh, in my career where, you know, I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this anymore because it's just so overwhelming with all of the different things that are happening out there. And then you talk about an imposter syndrome, which I think is also very related to that type of topic because, you know, we, we look at, at a lot of the folks in the industry, you know, these experts that have built their careers and, you know, people are like, I'll never be like that or I'll never be that person. But, you know, if I, you know, apply myself and just kill myself and my body and my mind and everything else in my life and I, and I just focus on cybersecurity, maybe someday I can get to that, that spot or that position. Um, and I think that's a really poor look and we shouldn't be promoting that type of, of mentality in our industry, right? You know, yeah. at the end of the day, this is a job and, and there's no question that in this industry, we have so much passion for doing the right thing because it is such an important mission, right? And it, you know, we're trying to, to help the world, protect the world. We're trying to protect hospitals from going down. We're trying to protect the oil, you know, oil refineries and everything else that makes this whole world operate and run, manufacturing, et cetera. 
it's such an important aspect that that's never happened before because technology has never been so embedded as it was today. But we have to put it in perspective that at the end of the day, we shouldn't be killing ourselves. We shouldn't be staying up till three or four or five o'clock in the morning or spending four nights, you know, staying up and, and doing things. We have to take a break. We have to take a pause for ourselves. And we also have to recognize that you can be successful and build your career without doing any of that. And that your, your experiences and your values that you have as an individual are so important to share those, regardless if you're just coming into this industry or you've been here for five years or 10 years or 20 years, you know, there, there's no differences. Your experiences can help somebody else get better at what they do. So think of it from an uh, imposter syndrome perspective is that, you know, it's your experiences that you're sharing. Security researchers are sharing their experiences. Incident responders are sharing their experiences. We're all sharing our experiences to really try to come together to help. So you're contributing to the collective industry getting better by sharing your experience as you go along. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be, you know, somebody that's been in for 20 or 30 years that has a name or something like that. It doesn't make a difference. Your experiences are, are what matters. I think that's really interesting. And, and uh, I find that resonates with me particularly because I, I have a real problem with imposter syndrome. And I also have a problem with imposter syndrome in that uh, as somebody new to the industry, I occasionally or possibly even more than occasionally suffer from imposter syndrome. But I also have an issue with the the expression itself. I don't think it does any favours. I think having this this generic catch-all umbrella term for this, this yeah. mental health uh, condition, for want of a better description, I don't think it does anyone any favours because actually imposter syndrome can mean anything from you're new into the industry and you're working with people who've got more knowledge to you're in the wrong industry to you're not comfortable with your co-workers yeah and i think i think by just grabbing onto imposter syndrome and, and putting that on as as my protective jacket i'm actually not making myself or my colleagues aware of the things that are in fact the issue um, and I think we need to get away from that. I think we need to be a lot more specific about yeah. what the problem is. Why do you feel you don't fit? Because ultimately, all those of us who have suffered from whatever we choose to call it are in that position because someone somewhere felt that we deserved to be there. And we need to we need to find that focus on that and build around that. So I, I really like the fact that you you talked about those, how everyone can bring something to the party and nobody has all the, the answers nobody has all the, the pieces to the puzzle it requires that that combination well, I, of, of input i think with like people who are reskilling into cyber so rob is from caps lock um which was the mentoring group that we spoke to last week um and they reskill people into cyber and i think it's really important that we look at like the transferable skills that people have that they bring into the cybersecurity industry and that's kind of how you can look at combating imposter syndrome maybe by looking at it's not just the technical skills like having technical skills is absolutely fantastic but they're not the only skills that we need in cyber there's 100%. such a big like array of things that we need in the cyber security industry to help further our understanding of it and bring new innovations and all that kind of thing it's not just the technical skills that we need is it so having those kind of people who are reskilling into the industry and bringing fresh insight they're really important yeah yeah i couldn't i couldn't agree more and i think you know, I, I think a lot of that also comes down to um, the people you surround yourself with as well. You know, coming into this industry, there's a lot of welcoming folks. Um, there's also a lot of negative folks, right? Um, and I think, you know, it, you know, when, you, when you're experiencing, you know, this kind of doubt about yourself or your ability or, you know, your experiences, you know, having positive reinforcements to, to really push you forward to help you through those, those types of blocks that you're having with yourself I think is really important to uplift you. I think uplifting um, and, and positivity can really help overcome a lot of the things that we see out there today. Um, you know, in this industry, because of burnout and, and because of you know our own views of you know, hey, we're just coming through this industry. We don't know a lot of folks who are just starting to learn. Or you know, as as Rob had mentioned, there are a number of different facts that incorporate into what imposter syndrome is. And I think you know, for me, when I was first coming into this industry, you know, it wasn't as refined or formed as, as what we see today right you know 20 players and and one of the real big instrumental folks in my career were two people one was not technical at all had barely any hacking skills whatsoever I, and let me rephrase that he was very business centric but insecurity mm -hmm. his name was scott angelo and scott taught me how to communicate to people how to take very complex subjects and and 
form it into a way that I could communicate mm -hmm. on the news, for example, or testify in front of Congress or speak at, you know, all of these different conferences, right? The, the business aspects and the soft skills, which ultimately got me a chief security officer position at a Fortune 1000 company. Mm -hmm. You know, so the soft skills that I learned from from Scott, from a positivity and a role model perspective, you know, I really equate to my success today. And from a technical perspective, um, I look at Matty Arahoni from from offensive security or, you know, originally created Cali, WAPEX, IWAX, Backtrack, you know, all of those different things. You know, for for me early on, he was the person that really pushed me in certain directions of like, hey, this is what I would do. And this is how I do. He was really a, a positive role model and mentor for me in the technical space. So, you know, finding folks like that, that, you know, may already have experience or, you know, is just a community of, of really good folks that want to help each other can really, I think, have a big resonating impact on your career, your confidence, where you position yourself and what you're really good at. Because at the end of the day, you know, when I go to work, I don't want to hate work. You know, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. And, and I think all of us kind of have that, that in us, right? It's, it's a it's a fulfillment in life, right? So you have family, you have friends, you have the things that, that make up who you are as an individual. For me, I would not want to go into work every day hating what I did. I'd, I'd want to have some rewards some fulfillment that I'm actually building something that's going to last or something that's going to make a change in somebody in a, in a positive way. Those are the types of things I think we really need to focus on, on the mental health aspects, on positivity, to really uplift when there's a lot of bad things happening in the world, right? And so, you know, I'm not saying ignore the bad things. I'm not saying don't focus on you know, trying to make the world a better place by combating those bad things. But what I'm saying is, you know, surround yourself with positive people. And ultimately, I think good karma equates to good karma in yourself as well. How do you find that works with like social media? So you've obviously got quite a large following on social media, like 125,000 followers or something. Um, do you find that like looking at social media helps you? Or do you think it can sometimes be like a negative influence as well? I think social media, um, for your own personal benefit, needs to be curated um, in, in a way that I'm very meticulous on um, people that, you know, may be negative that I follow. You know, I just I just mute them and I don't block them. You know, I don't let them know that, hey, I'm you know not following you or following the stuff that you're doing. But, you know, that's just not a person that that's going to uplift me or do, you know, uh, spread positivity with me. And I, again, I'm not saying ignore bad things that are happening. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, you know, I, I, I like to perceive things that there are a lot of good people out there doing amazing things. And I also want to be contributing to doing good things and helping other people out. And so, you know, I think for me, I've really curated my list pretty well uh, to really not listen to any of the, 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 the negativity of individuals or people that may be going after others. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, if you find real, you know, cancerous or toxic people, you know, it's, it's just as easy to block them and to move on, you know, to go to somewhere different. Um, you know, if they're being that, that cancerous or toxic and they're, they're causing you to, to, to bring you down, it's not worth it to, to stay with that or to stick with it. Mm -hmm. I would just move on and go somewhere else, you know, and it's really your choice to go and do that, you know, to, to really try to tailor social media to you and the, the type of folks that you would want to communicate and talk to on a regular basis. That's really helped me out a lot. So I, I really don't have much negativity in my feed. I really try to, if you look at my feeds, the, I think the only negative thing that I, I've ever really commented on recently was, um, you know, the whole Afghanistan uh, uh, pullout being prior military uh, really had a big impact to me personally. Um, you know, and, and that stuff usually never bothers me. I usually don't let, you know, world things bother me in that way. But for some reason, just being over there, you know, for several years and things like that, it really had a, a, a real mental health problem with myself um, mm -hmm. that I had to kind of overcome and get around. And so but all my other stuff is always positive, always, you know, uplifting. I try to uplift other people. I try to be positive to other people. Um, you know, if they're struggling, I, I, you know, I try to chime in, reach out to them via direct message or text them, see how they're doing, mm -hmm. you know, just, just being that uplifting force that I think we all really can, can do to other folks that are going through struggles as well in their life. And I just want to say for the record, you know, when I, when I put out that, that whole thing on Afghanistan, <laughs> the support that I got from the community was incredible. I had people texting me, I had people calling me, I had people checking in every other day. One of my good buddies that were, I work with at Trusted Sec, David Boyd, must have called me, I think, six times within four days just to make sure I was doing well and checking up on me because he was a, you know, a fellow soldier as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's those types of, of folks when you're going through struggles or, or, or areas, whether it's imposter syndrome or, the, or, you know, burnout or other struggles in your life, having positive people to uplift you really helps out a ton. Definitely. Um, you mentioned that obviously you're in the military there and that one of your colleagues is in the military. And I have found that a lot of people in cybersecurity come from a military background. Do you think there's a lot of comparisons between the 
the industry is it an industry between like the yeah industries um and like why do you think so many people transition from the military into cyber what do what do you think the kind of connection is there yeah i think that's a good point to bring up amy which is you know when you look at at cybersecurity, it's it's a relatively new field right and and we just have um recent courses coming out in colleges degree cybersecurity degrees mm -hmm. you know formalized training like SANS, offensive security other things you know they're coming out to help train and teach people you know, prior to that, there really was no training. There was no book on hacking. You know, we, yeah, we had 2600 magazines and we had, you know, frack and other things that you kind of collectively could put things together with. But at the end of the day, it was still such a, an immature industry. And really the only formalized industry doing it was the military space. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you had the NSA, the National Security Agency, you had obviously um, our five eyes, our allies from a cybersecurity perspective. So, you know, the UK, you know, a, a number of other folks. Um, really, really kind of set that 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 industry for because what they found was they'd get trained professionally, no one else was doing it. And you could literally go into the private sector and do extremely well for this new emerging industry, right? And I think that's where you saw a lot of the, the early on um, military capabilities bleed over directly into what we see today in the private sector. I know that was for me, you know, when I, um, when I got out of the military, I spent five years in the Marines, um, in the intelligence community. So I had a, you know, high level government clearance, um, did a lot of cyber warfare type stuff. And when I got out, I found that, you know, I was in such a hot commodity and desired state coming out of the military that it was easy for me to find a job and really, you know, push myself successfully forward. Mm -hmm. I think today, you know, you're seeing a, a bigger mixture of both military and college degrees and formalized training come through, which Thanks. is kind of balancing, I think, the act. There's still a lot of military folks coming out that are highly trained. And that's another thing I want to hit on, too, is that, you know, there, there's a difference between experience and coming out of college, right? And and there's a and there's a, a big gap in a lot of the college's cybersecurity programs, which we've we've you know interviewed some folks. They've never, you know, and I'm saying from a tech from a technical position perspective, they've never booted up Linux, they've never, you know, you know, looked at Kali Linux, they never they don't even know the basics or fundamentals of networking or communication protocols. Do you think you that's know, because and, do you think that's because like to get into a I always say like when you're doing a degree, someone's got to plan that curriculum, then someone's got to QA it, exactly. and then it's got to go through a lot of I don't exactly. know, probably someone's got to learn to teach it and the teacher's got to be like au fait with the subject matter before they can teach it to someone. So you hit it, you hit it right in the head. You do that, right? But like industry moves so quickly that how do colleges keep up with that? It's like learning on the job, I think, is the only way that you're going to ever keep up with the demand that's kind of on you in, in terms of the developments that we've got. You you hit it right on the head is that the, the course curriculum is designed from a, a traditional college program where the professor may not be an expert in individual areas, right? Uh -huh. And if you're teaching a curriculum that is, is supposed to, and I'm not saying that's, that's, that's a bad thing, you know, that's how colleges historically have worked. What I think that, that colleges should really be focusing on is that as of right now, other than the exception of a few different colleges, I would rather hire a computer science major than I would an information security degree because the computer science majors have gone through, you know, programming, they've gone through networking and communication protocols, you know, they have the the fundamentals that that I need from a candidate that I can build them up into their roles in cybersecurity. So these security programs, I really think need to take more of a fundamental understanding around, you know, operating systems, programming languages, networking, you know, the OSI model, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and, and looking at, at all those different areas and saying, we're going to teach them the foundation and basics, as well as the applied concepts of what these different specializations are in the security industry. And then that will be much better to, to prepare folks. But the issue you run into right now is that, and this is why, you know, I, Amy, I think you hit the point on the head on the, the military side of the house is why there's so many military folks in this is that, you know, the military folks have skipped a step. They mm -hmm. have applied learning where they've already done this type of work and already have those fundamentals and foundation and everything else that are already applied. So it's easier for companies to hire somebody with experience and it is not. Yeah. And that's a problem for us. I, I, I don't agree with that. Um, I just want to first and foremost state that, you know, um, there's this, 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 you know, you see statistics all the time where they're like, oh, we don't have enough cybersecurity professionals and we can't fill these positions and jobs and roles and all these other things. Well, that's true. We can't fill these roles for already established senior level folks to hit the ground running day one. Mm -hmm. There's this massive gap of, of all of these kids coming in through colleges, but we don't want to train them up and hire them because we already need the, the people that are already senior in nature as well. So it's this, this gray area here that we have right now in the cybersecurity industry where we need to train these folks coming in the appropriate way. And to really progress them forward so that they can, you know, hit jobs running, you know, in these different areas. But and we've been doing that at Trusted Zach. I always feel like people don't want to 
promote the junior people that are in their team as well to like that senior level because a their salary is going to exponentially increase and b like they're already doing a great job of that junior level role and if they have to bring someone new in then like you said they're going to have to train them up and re like start reskilling people because a lot of job specs that i see for like entry-level roles they're not entry level. They're asking for like right. two, three years experience because they're looking at yep. the person exiting the role rather than the person that started that role. Um, so I think that's probably like one of the big issues that I see in kind of, yeah, the whole hiring process in general. <clears throat> but this is something that's that's not uncommon in uh, new industries, Agreed. is that people people are, are capable of doing what they are capable of doing. They then get spotted by senior management as being very capable, so they get promoted up into a management or a middle management position. They're not middle managers, so they don't know how to manage the people who are now doing the job that they were doing. So the whole, it all sort of comes tumbling back down again and they have to start rebuilding. Mm. And as you say, Dave, you, you bring people in from the military who have got the experience, and but also not just the experience, but the, the wherewithal to deal with it on the fly. Yep. Because one of the things you get in, in military situations is it doesn't matter if you've never seen it before, fix it and fix it now. That's such an important thing there. I'm glad you brought that up because that, that to me is like you, you just got to the center of our industry, which is, you know, you, you are going into an industry where not everything's already defined, where not everything's been discovered, not everything has been figured out, yeah. right? There's no textbook for doing certain things that you do. And that on the fly aspect is so beneficial. I remember when I was uh, consulting for when I first got out of the military, you know, they're like, hey, you need to go to this customer and it's a, it's a watch guard firewall. I'm like, well, I've never touched a watch guard before. They're like, yeah, you'll be fine. Go figure it out. I'm like, okay, boom, went forward and I figured it out. And I did the great job and I you know, did everything I possibly could to research it, to understand that a Cisco device, whatever it was, I've never touched it before. Then I figured it out, you know, and yeah. you start to build this like well-rounded understanding of everything around you because you've seen so many different environments but you have to be on the fly for that that's such a desirable state for anybody as an employer if i see that that spark i know you're going to be extremely successful in this industry because you have that ability to go down a certain way and and you know it's going to be fine you're going to figure it out you know you're not going to freak out about it, right <laughs> it's like yeah, one of the I things, when i'm mentor sorry rob um when i'm mentoring people one of the things i always say is if you get an opportunity to do something go do it, go yeah. and see, like work it out. Like I got asked to um, keynote a conference the other week and I was like, shit, I don't know what I'm fucking doing. I went, no, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll just say, go yeah, and do it. Because if I don't, then I'm, well, A, I'm being a hypocrite because I tell everyone else to go do it. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just work it out when I get there. Like it's when I got, whenever I got my first job in cyber, they were like, do you know all this stuff about Microsoft security? And I was like, yeah, I know all of that. I knew literally nothing. The first day I'm sat there Googling, like, Azure AD? What the hell is that? Um, but, but you work but, it out, right? I, I don't know how it is in the US, Dave, but the uh, education system in the UK, and to a certain extent, quite a lot of, of Western Europe, is not geared to training people to be on-the-fly thinkers. 100 um, right. and it's Same it's here. something i i mean i i've come from a background where i was an, an employer for 30 years and i'd see people come in great degrees great experience great knowledge no ability to to i mean a, a complete and utter fear of being put into a situation without the information i've recently started myself a new job and after a week i, I congratulations said, by the way know, Thank you very much. I mean, it was probably some time ago now, and I've... yeah, when, when this eventually airs, it'll be. About... <laughs> By the time this airs, I might not even be there. Who knows? But, <laughs> you know, a week into my my new position, I actually said to them that you know I'm I'm not 18 years old, despite my youthful good looks. I would have never guessed. I'm shocked. But <laughs> thank okay. you, Dave. Okay. Thank you. I, oh wow. Okay, this this is going to the top of the playlist. Uh, you know that, right? <laughs> no, so. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I said to them, I'm not 18 years old. You don't need to hold my hand through every single step. Throw me into the swimming pool because frankly, if I can't swim, I shouldn't be playing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, but unfortunately, so many younger people, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, you know, tar everyone with the same brush, but so many youngsters want to be handheld through every yes. single stage. Yep. And that's not realistic. It's not realistic for employers. It's not realistic for the employees. And it definitely isn't realistic for the industry. 
because the industry requires people to be prepared to, to jump in. And, and let's face it, we don't want things to go wrong, but going wrong is how you learn. Yeah. Our failures are what, you know, I always get asked the question, what would you change 10 or 20 years ago? I'm like, not a dang thing because I, I, I those failures I look back at as who I am today. Right. And they've made me better of a person because I've had failures because I've messed up on things. I, Remember, you know, I did a, I was on a customer site and I downed one of their domain controllers, which shut down their entire company, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, this is the end of my life. Well, it wasn't the end of my life. The company rebound, they're fine. You know, and we figured it out. Yes, they were unhappy for a few minutes, but guess what? I learned, hey, you probably shouldn't run this exploit on a domain controller at two o'clock in the afternoon when it's their only primary <laughs> DNS server, you know, do, do a little bit better, you know, next time. So, you know, those mistakes make us for, for who we are today. And that's, Rob, you hit on the one point on the college side of it. It's the first thing that we have to break these kids from understanding it's the first habit that we have to break from them is there's no book like there's no book for what you're going to do over here so figure out how you get to that point understanding that you have a foundational knowledge of under you know of computers and systems and things of that effect how do you get to there and what's the the steps of thinking of putting that puzzle together to get your mind that way now yes there are books for how do i run responder how do i run metasploit how do i do this how do i do that but when you're going into a brand new environment that you've never seen before and you have no understanding of this before and the technological debt that they had for being a 50-year-old company or a 10-year-old start, you know, company or a one-year-old startup, you know, all of those things are going to come into place where you're going to have to figure something out that you haven't done before. And that's the, the first thing that we have to break from a habit perspective from colleges is that there is no course curriculum for this. So how do you do it? And, and that, once you have that mindset, you're going to be successful in everything that you do by far. You, you think more people would understand that that is the kind of mindset you need, though, when we have like zero day exploits constantly coming out and you're like, no one's seen this before. Someone's got to fucking work out how to fix it. Literally, it's never been seen in the wild before. Someone's got to, so someone's got to think outside the box to try and put like a patch in place or whatever it is, or stop the vulnerability. So you think it would be more obvious to people. But like you said, I don't think it is. I think a lot of people do just want someone there going so this is how you do this and this is how you do this bit and it's like that's not i don't think it's realistic in any job but especially yeah. in cyber absolutely so i've, I've got uh, something to throw out here um you both have more experience in the industry than i do dave you have more experience than, than the world uh, apparently so my, my own experiences my own experiences and your own experiences <laughs> we all we all have our own experiences <laughs> so but, but here's the thing the, the cybersecurity industry doesn't exist in my mind. It, it, it's, it's, um, it's a sort of sub industry of other industries and not enough people, uh, <laughs> the people in it know it. The people yeah. in it know about it and know what they're trying to defend against. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the world doesn't. And it's, it's, it's almost like, it's like some sort of magician's alchemy going on. That, that you know we don't even need to know about it and the cybersecurity industry are desperately trying to, to keep the world running and the rest of the world are almost laughing at, at the you know the, the the passion that they have for something that they can't see so how how do you balance that sorry amy no i was just going to say i think did we kind of touch on this last week with rick where we were talking about like the different silos that people have like when they're developing an application there's like a development team and then there's a qa team and then it finally goes to the security team right at the end because why well, I, so I'm, I'm talking like, even further even further than that i mean right now in, in the uk whilst we are recording this certainly not whilst we're we're broadcasting yet but whilst we're recording it there is a, a panic buy on fuel because of a supply chain issue or right. a, a perceived supply chain issue the majority of people have no idea that that supply chain even exists as far as they're concerned they go to the petrol station they fill up with petrol magic. they don't care how that gets filled up it yep. just happens it's magic yep. so and and the same thing with the whole cyber security element it's it's a non-existent product for those people who are directly involved in it so how do we how do we get them more educated better educated into the the importance of the cyber sec well i think you know what what's changed from i would say you know 15 20 years ago to today is that that businesses incorporate cyber in their entire risk profile right so you know traditionally it'd be supply chain issues or you know hr issues or legal issues that are business risk for us and they would have this 
what they call their risk universe, which is all these different risks that could impact our business on a daily basis, right? And mm -hmm. which ones are more probable? So, you know, you address the risks that are high critical, you know, and impact likelihood, you know, that, that are going to occur in the business. So if you have a, a brand new, you know, uh, product that you're building from a research and development perspective, and you're, you're scared about competitors learning about it, you're going to put controls in place to ensure that that intellectual property and the development and everything else goes. Apple does that very well, right? On the iPhone leaks they are one of the best when it comes to that. Now, granted, they get leaks, but it's, it's much rare to see that happen in, in Apple. And they have people that hunt down the leakers and all this other stuff, right? They, they spend a lot of emphasis on the risk to their products so that, you know, on the competitive landscape, Google doesn't clone their device and make something better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, cybersecurity is very much the same way, right? Where we're looking at it from a risk perspective and saying, well, there's all these risks that can happen. And now you see all these things happening on the news and you see, you know, supply chain issues and catastrophic cyber attacks happening from nation states and ransomware and all this other stuff. And the risk now is bubbling up to the point of, of where we're seeing board members from big companies, small companies, et cetera, individual owners talking about cybersecurity from a risk perspective, right? And what does that mean to me and how do I protect against it? I think the issue is, is that, you know, cybersecurity, you, you, I think you, you, you kind of tiptoed around this, which is cybersecurity touches every aspect of a business. It doesn't just touch the IT aspects of things, right? Mm -hmm. Or the technological components, because the technological components are built into everything that the, the company does from a, from a, 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 a you know, you know, future growth perspective, integration day to day, everything else. And so I think when people look at it, they, they still think of cybersecurity as, oh, well, I have to incorporate strong passwords and put multi-factor authentication in place and patch my systems when it's really much broader than that. And they can't grasp that cybersecurity is a complex, ever-evolving program that they have to continuously invest in as part of doing business in technology. And so until we get to that point, until companies can really focus on that long-term strategy and vision, as they do for their businesses, as they do from an HR perspective, as they do from a legal perspective, you know, when you first start a legal department, your legal department's super immature and has no idea what it's doing. And eventually it grows to a point to where you feel very confident in them. Cybersecurity is no different than how you look at that from an organizational risk perspective. I was watching um, a video that Jason E Street did the other week and it was like where he walks into banks. Yeah. So I think like that kind of shows you like how cybersecurity, it's not just an IT issue because he's walking into a bank. There's no IT person sitting at the door going, you can't come in here. Yeah. Like there's, it's the receptionist or it's the teller behind the counter or whatever. And he's just walking around like plugging USBs into all these machines. Very familiar with that video. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a prime example of of being able to go in and do whatever you want to if you have something that's somewhat believable, right? And, and you have the social engineering aspects, you have the external threats, you have phishing, you know, you have all these different threats that, that range and vary to your business. And, you know, companies very, very much grasp only a little tiny minuscule amount of that risk. Yeah, my boyfriend, he's a pen tester, and he does like social engineering and like red teaming engagement. Yeah. And he just walked into somewhere the other week because he had a high-vis jacket on. They were just like, yeah, sure, come in. Like, he just <laughs> they gave him a visitor's pass. Yep. Look believable and trustworthy. You're, you're all set. No issues at all. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I've spent 30 years, before getting into cyber, I spent 30 years in the events and entertainment industry. And uh, I, I could walk into any concert anywhere in the world with, with a handful of techniques. Um so can you get, can you get me into my favorite bands? <laughs> it, it depends who are your favorite bands. Hand <laughs> over these techniques, Rob. We need to know them. Yeah, I know. It was, how, how do I get we, to see we, my favorite we, band? So. We can't be doing it. But it is. And, and the thing is, physical security and cybersecurity obviously are very um, in, in, inherently linked. But people are much more understanding of physical security I would agree. if somebody sees a smashed window yeah. they know that they need to tell somebody about the smashed window so that they yep. can get it boarded and fixed but they don't think about the same way when they lost their um their id card or when they they've lent their logon details to somebody or, or whatever it might be but because they don't they don't physically see it. It's it's not as tangible for them, I think. I don't think it's that they don't physically see it. I think it's that they probably think they're going to get in trouble for doing it as well. And um, Because security teams inherently have been the people that are going to tell you off because you've done something naughty. Like, I think yep. it's, it, it's kind of like, I'm not saying all security teams are like that. I know they're not. Um, but if security <laughs> teams maybe didn't, if everyone didn't think the end users the fucking problem, which is what 
a lot we see it all the time on like LinkedIn and Twitter. It's like, oh, this user's done this. And it's like, well, drives me nuts. Yeah, you, it's it not drives me nuts when we blame the user. Drives me nuts. Why are we blaming the user? Like someone did I saw someone had written up a pen test the other week and they was like, Well, I only got I only got into the system because they're using it because I guessed the password. And I'm like, Yeah, well, if you guess the password and then they didn't have like really shit laps deployed. Yeah. You'd have been, they would, you wouldn't have got local admin then, would you? Which that user has got zero fucking control over. So yeah. it's that, you'd only get so far with having the username and password. You don't get two domain admin with a random user's username and password, right? Well, and I, and I also think that it's, it's a bit of a, a messaging problem for us as this industry has grown because it is so new. So you look at um, other established industries and they, they, they suffer from the same things like the medical industry, for example, you have a lot of snake oil that happens in the med- medical industry where you have this brand new product going to revolutionize your, you know, medic- the medical you know, floor for your hospital and et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a bunch of BS, expensive BS, um, you know, that, that ends up happening from something that, that's been around for 20 or 30 or 40 years, mm-hmm. you know, and the security industry, very similar where, you know, you see a lot of these vendors that claim, oh, we can stop zero day threats or we can, we detect zero. No, no one's seen that before in the wild. You're, you're, you're pumping full of bun- a bunch of bullshit to these companies that think that by implementing your product, you can completely, you know, eliminate all of the other things that you had to do to actually build that security program up, it's- you know, from the, from the ground up. I mean, does legal think, do you think that there's a product in the law industry or HR industry that's going to solve all your HR problems and solve all your legal problems? It doesn't happen, Right. You have to build those programs up. You have to address risk. You have to reduce the impact to your company. There's going to be legal challenges and things like that. But you, as long as you have a good stance, you can figure it out. Same thing for security. You have to build that up. You have to figure it out what your risk is and then tailor your security program for that. And yes, you can supplement with things that maybe make your life a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, there's no shortcut for what you have to build in a security program. Yeah, it's like Symantec came out when they were, I think that they're not even a thing anymore, are they, Symantec? I think it bought out. Um, but they had like negative day protection. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's some, that's some minority report shit right there. That's like, I, you know, hey, before it actually happens, we predict it and uh, we stopped it in time. We actually hacked time to stop that from happening. I, so. I, 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 there I, are so many things that haven't happened because we stopped them not. That's right. <laughs> you wouldn't even know how good we were before we started. They right, posted, right. They posted about it on LinkedIn, and I just commented like, Are "You okay, hon? Like, <laughs> you've been drinking? You know, you've been hitting the hitting the booze a bit. It's, it's like that. Uh, have you ever seen the uh, the new movie that just came out? Uh, it's called The Tomorrow War or something like that. Where they, uh, it's really good if you get a chance it's on Amazon Prime. But they they basically, I won't ruin anything for you. But um, in the future, there's a war that happens, but they're losing the war, and everybody's like the human race is basically dying off. So they actually go back in time and recruit all the people that are living, you know, a hundred years before to come fight this war in the future. And it's like, you know, it's like obviously crazy, but it was kind of a cool concept, but same thing. It's like, you know, there, you know, zero days, as you mentioned, first time being seen have never been discovered before, you know, yes, you might be able to determine some of the indicators of compromise post exploitation perspective that may have Mm -hmm. happened, but in most cases, you're not going to be going through all of the logic that's going on in the application to understand when it's being misused or abused. It's so complex to think about that. Um, then there's no technology out there that does that today. So I think it's a, it's a framing issue in many cases for, for, you know, even, even executives and board members are being fed this stuff and they're like, well, why aren't we going with this product? It says it can completely stop hundred percent of the hackers out there. Why aren't we doing it? Well, it doesn't, doesn't really work that way. And that's a bunch of bullshit. Um, and we actually have to frame this in, in a very similar way as other departments that we've done in the before in the past. Mm-hmm. But, but this is exactly the attitude of, of organizations. We, we got onto this topic by saying, you know, users are the weakest link. No, users are the link that use your product. Users are also yeah. your strongest link. They are the people who create your products. They're the people who yeah. create your sales. They are the people who create your brand. 100%. You can't have it both ways. And if if the team of people who are working and doing their very best for you are struggling with something you're asking them to do, change it. Don't keep yeah. hitting them over the head with it. Yep. Well, it's like, know, make it's it better like- for them. It's like when organizations ban specific, I don't know, like messaging apps or conference calling solutions. They, they, but someone will always want to try and find a way around it. So instead of doing that, why don't you try and ask the users, like, what do they want to use that's easy for them? What m- makes them more productive? And then you find a way of securing the thing that they want to use. I always think that's a much better way of doing it because people will just end up signing up to an account whether you want them to or not. You're yeah. not going to police everyone doing it all the time. So to stop shadow IT, how about have a discussion with the users, engage with them, and then work out how you can work, help them work better rather than yeah. 
being a blocker and, to what it is that they need to do for their role. And as you said, Amy, if you if you make everything banned, people will just do it without sharing the information. They'll just yeah. make it harder for you to do your job. Dave, I don't know if you're a, a father. I know Amy and I have got children. Yeah, okay. So, you know, there is no point constantly telling your children not to do something that they're clearly going to do. You need it. You have a discussion with them about 100%. how are we going to manage that yep. you want to do this and I don't want you to do it. So how are we going to do it in such a way that we're both happy? Yep. And that way you create a dialogue. Your children do what you want them to do safely and they do what they want to do. To be fair, I'm not going to lie, in my house, it does not work out like that. Margot <laughs> says, I want to do this. I say no, and then she does it anyway, and I'm like, mm. In fairness, Amy, I should perhaps be having this conversation with Margot about how she talks to you rather than the other way around. Probably. <laughs> I think, you know, that's, that's how that relationship works. Listen, Actually, would it now be a good time just to take a couple of minutes? I want to quickly catch up on that film that you mentioned, Dave, on Amazon Prime. Should we just quickly jump to the news? Um, whilst I grab that. <laughs> Bong, here's the news. Flannel-wearing hipster beer maker Brewdog has been caught out by a basic security problem, and the team that discovered it says the Scottish tipple merchant's response was hardly encouraging. Research by Legends Pentest Partners found that the Brewdog mobile app used the same hard-coded API bearer token to log in every single customer. This would allow anyone to access and use the other people's accounts, including 200,000 Equity for Punks shareholders, as well as to snoop on other personal information. A sobering thought indeed. Did you know that October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month? The time of year we're all supposed to remember that cyber is a thing and we should be aware of. Luckily, top social media organizations have been leading the charge in keeping cyber in the news by either Going offline for hours due to misconfigurations a la Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram, or by just leaking all of our data and even their own source code, like Amazon-owned Twitch. It's super kind that malicious actors are bringing these issues to light. We never knew they were so keen on user awareness. What next? Ransomware that gets your files back when you've switched MFA on across the board? Fingers crossed. And finally, the United States Department of Justice has announced a leak of information pertaining to the design of the nuclear-powered Virginia-class submarine and the arrest of the alleged leakers. Please forward this letter to your military intelligence agency. I believe this information will be of great value to your nation, the letter stated. Helpfully adding, this is not a hoax, because it kind of reads like it would be. The FBI appears to have decided to string the person in question along. After some clandestine back and forth, plenty of encrypted email and a payment of 10 grand in cryptocurrency, he loaded the relevant info onto an SD card and left it at a dead drop. The SD card was wrapped in plastic and placed between two slices of bread on a half a peanut butter sandwich, the DOJ's criminal complaint states. Sounds more like Tinker Tailor Soldier twat to me. Starting in the southwest, the run of unusually warm weather we've had is resulting in a growing area of high pressure around Exeter. Nothing to do with the weather, that's just on the roads. Historically, of course, this is mining country, so keep an eye out for adventurous types wearing head torches. Moving on up into the Midlands, we see thick cloud cover. No precipitation to speak of, just badly named products and poorly designed user interfaces. The picture changes as we move further east. Keep an eye out for sin flooding, especially in low-lying areas. More or less the same picture moving north, though obviously wetter, colder and different accents. Don't expect too much change as we move into the weekend. Expect patches of sunshine and broken cloud with the occasional shower. Misty in the mornings and, of course, a high chance of ransomware. Thank you. 
and we are back from the news hey um so dave last time i spoke to you prior to the news um was when you came to the caps lock group that i'm mentoring and you kind of talked to them about how you got into the industry and that kind of thing um and obviously caps lock is a way of um, people getting into cybersecurity. but you are running a program as well right that's helping people get into the industry so do you want to tell us a bit about that yeah you know when i was a kid growing up i'm gonna go into my full story my, my history um but uh you know that when i was growing up as a kid you know, I came from a very, um, you know, lower, poor in income type of family. So, you know, I grew up understanding what, you know, sifting through the, uh, the, the, um, you know, uh, couch cushions looking for money just so we can pay rent was and, mm -hmm. you know, all those different things that kind of went, went during those periods of time. But my parents were amazing, they, you know, strong role models in my life. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, you know, but one of the things that I didn't really have a whole lot of access to, you know, early on was technology. And we see that in a number of schools in the poverty stricken areas, most specifically inner city schools and things of that effect where, you know, kids don't have laptops. They aren't, you know, experiencing that. And so, you know, what we looked at, what I looked at doing personally was, well, how do we fix that issue? And then how do we also bring new folks into the security industry and train them up appropriately so they can be successful in their own career? And so the first thing that I did uh, most recently was um, I made a, a substantial donation, but also ongoing support and my time on their technology board of building what they call the, and this is kind of funny, but it's the David Kennedy Center of um, Gaming and Leadership. Um, wow. So it's a it's a facility for, um, you know, predominantly African-American um, individuals. You know, it's 98% African-American school that I came from. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, inner city school, um, net medium income uh, was, is $30,000 in the US, which is $20,000 less than the national uh, low average uh, for them. So very poverty stricken location. And that's where I graduated from. So I wanted to kind of make that my staple of where I started this, but my plan is to hopefully roll this out to other schools and locations as well. And the best part about that was um, we're, we're giving, um, because of that esports uh, uh, gaming component, um, there's now scholarship opportunities where there never was any before. Uh, so kids are actually getting uh, scholarships to school, to college for higher education, where they never wouldn't be able to afford that in the first place because of the technology impact that these kids now have access to. So, you know, um, I, I, you know, I think last year there was 19 new scholarship opportunities uh, created for these kids, which is absolutely fantastic saying that, you know, hey, I made a difference in somebody's life where they could actually, um, you know, go to college and have an opportunity they never had before um, mm -hmm. on the technology side. And then coupling that with what we're doing at Trusted Sec, um, we started our, our we started our junior program piloting it about two years ago. And we had some really big success with that. Um, you talked about, you know, not wanting to promote juniors to seniors. What's interesting of what, what we've done is, you know, when a junior comes in and they have no experience whatsoever or very little experience or, you know, especially hands-on or applied, you know, they come in at, at more of a, a junior level rate, you know, so that, you know, so we can teach them and train them and it doesn't break our bank as a company to grow. Mm -hmm. But we course correct those salaries once they're at a position where they start to actually provide benefit to the organization. So, you know, um, you come in as a junior, but you quickly excel salary wise to a specific area to be at that level that the industry is demanding right now. So, you know, we had two individuals, uh, Logan Sampson and, and Kelsey Sagru. Kelsey came from Kent State University. She's in the web application team. And then Logan just recently moved over to the red team. And they both, you know, came through that program where they had some college, you know, experience and excelled so well. And, and the kudos to them. They're the ones that did this, right? You know, their drive, their passion, their ability to think outside the box and learn um, really made them successful in these programs. But they're now senior level resources doing extremely well financially as well as everything else in their lives because of that. And so our, this, this last year, um, this year um, in 2021, we really kicked off our junior program and we have nine folks going through the junior program right now. And our goal is to continuously increase those to, heck, I would love to have 500 people at one time. I think Jason probably just had a, a heart attack when I told him that, but um, <laughs> or, yeah, the program, but uh, um, you know, our goal with these, these, these kids coming out, or it doesn't need to be kids, you know, someone that's bridging over from the military or someone that's trying to make a career shift into something different. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to train them the right way so that they can go out to the security industry, whether it's at trust at sec or somewhere else and be successful in the career and help promote, you know, um, all the DNI initiatives that we have for this industry, getting people from different areas and locations, race, gender, whatever it ends up being coming into this, you know, this, this, this welcoming um, organization and uh, industry and really getting them the right type of experience to be successful in their career. So my driving passion is really on that, that area right now uh, and trying to help out as many folks as I possibly can. Plus again, you know, facetiously it, it helps trust the tech too, because we have some amazing folks that we can teach up 
that now we can apply to our growing company as well. So mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a benefit for all of us, uh, you know, uh, both short, mid and long term. But I think that's a really good attitude to have. And it's obviously an attitude that your organization has from like the top down. Yep. Um, but Number I think one. there's quite a lot of organizations where they've got senior level people in and they don't want people to overtake them in terms of like knowledge. So sometimes they're like, like I call them gatekeepers. I'm sure that is, yeah. I think that's the actual term for them. Um, yeah, like there's lots of gatekeeping in cybersecurity. Like I'm a big fan of just breaking down all the barriers. I'm like, if I've got connections that can help you get a job, go yep. and talk to my connections. Like use my name, whatever you like. as long as you're not being a dick about it, use my name wherever you like to. If that's you talk to someone who can get you a role, I don't mind at all. Like I can't teach people that much. I can probably help them with some sales shit maybe. Um, but, but if I could teach people stuff, I would do. Because I always think if I'm teaching someone else something, I'm not getting any stupider. I'm the same. I'm the same amount of clever just because I've told someone else what I know. Right. But they might ask me a question that then I have to go away and research, and then I could get more clever off it. But I'm never going to get less clever off of it. So I, I like the whole gatekeeping thing just yeah. blows my mind because I just think what what are you what are you gaining from doing that? I think I think in one retrospect, I I. I... I, I, my brain doesn't work that way. So I can kind of see that it's a threat, right? In, in some cases to some folks, I think. But the sign then that, and, and to me, that's a sign of a poor leader, right? Mm -hmm. Because if if your your team success, you know, is a, 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 your team success is a direct, um, you know, equation to you as a leader. And if you don't want your team to expand beyond your knowledge and you as an individual, your team's not going to be successful. I, I learn something new every single day. And believe me, I have so many, everybody in my company is more brilliant than I am in every way, shape or form. And I want them to be more brilliant and I want them to succeed so I can learn more on top of that and see them succeed and have the reward that, hey, because they came here at this company, you know, I was able to change their lives or to make them successful in their career. Even when they go somewhere else, I've had a number of folks leave. We don't have very many, which is a great thing because we take care of our folks. But when we do have people leave, they're my good friends. You know, we, I, you know, I help them get the job. I, you know, you know, I, you know, they're always welcome back. Uh, you know, and, and it's just one of those things where, you know, taking care of others, again, good karma equates to good karma back on yourself. And I think we really need to look at it from a leadership perspective and say, these are the future leaders. Like you're not going to be here forever. Like, you know, this life has a fixed time, at least for now, the science is getting there. We may, may be able to fix aging eventually, but um, you know, at least not anytime okay. soon. So, you know, we have a finite time in this earth. Why not teach your future generation of leaders to be stronger so that ultimately, you know, they can take a position, you can take a step back and see all that grow and reap the rewards and benefits for, for everything that you've been able to accomplish in your career, seeing all these folks being successful in theirs. That's, that's the reward. I mean, like, the, I don't understand the whole gatekeeping aspects of things of like, hey, if they're coming from my job or they're going to impact me. No, that's not the case. They're, you're making your team stronger and better and awesome and doing something that, that you can say, this is my legacy right here that I left. But um, I, team. I also think if you're like worried about someone coming for your job, maybe you're not that good at your job. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Or, or, alternatively, I love it when people want my job because I consider that to be a compliment. It means you're doing something yeah, right. If if people if people are looking at me saying I want to do what Rob's doing, I want to take over from Rob. Well, fantastic. That, you know, I'm glad that you aspire to do what I'm doing. Um, one thing, and I one hope thing you can I do learned... it better than me. One thing I learned very quickly when I started Trusted Sack was, you know, to to give responsibility to people that could handle the responsibility. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was very quick on, on you know, I hired one of my good friends that ended up, you know, being head of sales. And, and he, you know, took over the sales component that I was doing. And Martin Boss, who runs my entire consulting practice, you know, I gave him my responsibilities of running the consulting practice, you know, and and over time. I have I've loosened myself up so that I can focus more on the strategy and vision of the organization, mm. which is what I really enjoy doing. And by the way, I can still hop on red teams or engagements whenever I want to to have fun, to, to hack into whatever <laughs> I want to. And I don't have to be the best kid on the block because I just have a badass team that I learn from every time. So then I can like take some nuggets out of that and say, why? Well, cool. I learned like 10 new things. I'm better today than I was yesterday and move forward. So for me, it's it's freed me up to do the right stuff that I want to do because I've given the responsibility to the people that can handle it. And they're incredible individuals as well and have grown as well. You know, Martin is our chief security officer and in charge, a VP of our entire operations over at TrustedSec. And he's one of those guys that he wasn't, you know, he, he, he when, when I first met Martin, he wasn't even in security yet. He wanted to make that break into security, right? Mm -hmm. And to see him grow, to see him excel, and, and it's, again, he is incredible. He's He deserves every, 
ounce of that position that he gives just from his dedication, his passion, his culture of people, loves people, loves taking care of people. I mean, that, that's that's what you want to see from from your team, from your leadership, from anything else before you, you know, you you, know, you go somewhere else or, or, or leave your legacy on the place. So it's like that whole think- thing where people say like there's like a, a meme about it, I think, where it's like the CEO says to the CFO, like, what if we train all of our people and they uh, or if, oh, yeah, what if we train a lot of people and they leave? And it's like, well, what if we don't? What, if don't, don't and they stay. Yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. Like, if you have nobody there well, to do the work, what are you going to do? Like, it's, it makes no sense. Yeah, it does. It does make no sense. And it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the whole conversation we're having now about leadership leads on to, to something that I think is important. You've mentioned it already tonight, Dave, and we perhaps could have spent more time on it. Typically, we could have spent more time on everything we've talked about. But burnout which is a, a real big issue. Yeah. And from my perspective, I see this quite often. And burnout, as far as I can see, comes from, to an extent, it comes from the leadership. Because if somebody is working 80 yep. hours a week, then actually they're doing two people's work. And the leadership needs to be aware that they're not being realistic about the, the amount yes. of work that needs to So, you know, we, we talk about burnout. Burnout is something that you obviously know about. What what are your thoughts on that? How how can we, as an industry, be better? You, you hit on something so important, Rob, which is it comes from leadership. You know, expectations of not understanding the impact that you have on people and personnel and their lives and their families. Um, that is such an important concept that we we lack. I think insecurity because we expect this magic stuff, and it goes right into your 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 topic before of. You know, they look at at cybersecurity as this magic thing when it's people, an army of people trying to keep this company operational alive, you know, to, to defend all these different things that are out there. Yeah, I think, I think last week when we spoke to Rick, he said something like the average SOC in an FSI company, I think it was in 2017, they had enough work to, it was like 40,000 hours of work that someone had to do yeah. just to triage all the incidents no, in a 24 hour period. It's not, yeah, it's not possible, right? It's just, it's yeah. not possible to sustain that for a long period of time. And, and so one thing that, that we have done, and this is why we have such a high retention uh, in our companies, um, you know, one thing that we focus on specifically in consulting, which is a very high burnout, by the way, consulting, traveling all the time away from your families, different stressors, you know, toxic customers, you know, you name it, you know, you have a wide array of stressors on top of the job, the reporting, the project management, everything else that kind of goes around and makes this thing that you have to do all garbled to a product that you have to get out to a customer. It's a stressful uh, work environment, right? And so, you know, I came from consulting. I recognized that I burned out in consulting because of it, because the owner that I, I previously worked for treated people as bodies. He'd always say, oh, we can just get more bodies. We can just get more bodies and do this. You know, we weren't people. We weren't individuals. We weren't humans that were actually going and doing this. If you faulted and you didn't put in 80 hours and we could just replace you with somebody else that will work 80 hours was the mentality. And that that's very common, unfortunately, um, in our industry is that your success is rewarded based off of the amount of time you spend away from your family and your home. Mm-hmm. And so when I started Trusted Sec, I vowed that would never happen. So first and foremost, one of the big things that will happen in consulting is that you typically put people on multiple engagements. So, you know, they'll be running three or four or five consecutive engagements at the time, because guess what? That maximizes profit, right? So now you have a consultant instead of, you know, building out 80% to now utilize 150% and you're making more and more money. doesn't happen. So we only do one engagement per consultant at a time, which is so Good, by the way, because they can focus on that one customer and do the best work for that one customer, period. But on top of it, they're not having to juggle all the stuff around, right? So a couple of questions. A, has the pandemic, do you think, affected this because people couldn't go out traveling, so they weren't working? And also, B, if you've got one consultant on one engagement, I'm not going to ask you about your business, but is that affecting, like, profit? Like, how does that affect your profit margins? Like, what do you earn less per consultant, so you have to employ more consultants? Or what, like, how does that work? Listen, uh, you know, uh, from a from a profitability perspective, could I make more money by doing that? Absolutely. Um, is it the right thing to do for my people? No. So, so it, you know, if you look at our, our top objectives as a company, um, you know, we have we have strategic initiatives that we look at of, of both short, mid, and long term of what we want to accomplish from our companies. Mm-hmm. Number one, period, across the entire entire company's culture is number one. From me to my COO to Martin to Justin to Chris to Aaron, everybody on the on the team. We all focus on culture, number one. So the decisions that we make, are they going to impact people in a negative way? If they are, then we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what can we do to make it better? In fact, we started a culture committee um, that, it, you know, it may sound lame, but 
it's from different parts of the organization, everything from sales to marketing to our consultants, both junior, senior, everything above. And, and it's a, it's a no bullshit committee where you can submit things anonymously or in person. Uh, and we look at things every year and we, we create out things to make the company better or make changes in a better way to help our employees out. I think COVID definitely had a major issue on, on the personable personalities of things of not seeing each other in person and stuff like that. But we were primarily a remote company anyway, so it didn't have a huge impact. So, we, you know, what, I, what we did every week is we'd have an online, you know, uh, you know, lunch and learner. You know, we all you know, c- come together every single week and just talk to one another, see how everybody's doing, drink beer, whatever, you know, and, and hang out and have a good time. Right. And I think, you know, a pulse on your organization and anybody that 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 is just starting day one has an opinion that could change the company for the better and they're empowered to do that will make you a successful company and also really steer away from that whole burnout aspect. Because, you know, when we, we tell everybody every single quarterly meeting that we have, every single biweekly meeting that we, we occur, you know, across different, different department levels, um, that if you are burning out or you're going through a challenging time in your life, uh, that is not a sign of weakness. Um, you know, to, to reach out and to tell somebody that, you know, is a sign of strength. And, mm-hmm. and how can we help you not burn out? So we've had folks that are like, man, I just had a lot going on. I got backed up on engagements. Guess what? Next week, their engagement's gone. The week after that, their engagement's gone. You know, so that we clear it out. We move it over to different consultants. They have time to recoup and relax and chill and get back into that mental clarity that they need to, to be performing at a high level. And it's not a sign of weakness. And we, and we, we continuously pulse the company, completely anonymous surveys, understanding where, you know, we can get better at. And we listen and we test those out and we build those out in the company over time. It's this evolving process, very similarly like security that we do for our culture and our people so that they don't burn out. That's so important to me when I, you know, we had one employee, you know, a number of years ago, and I don't know who it was. I have no idea who it was um, because again, anonymous surveys, mm-hmm. but you clearly tell that they were burning out. And, you know, I had an all hands meeting the next day. I'm like, listen, I don't know who you are, but I just want to let you know, please let us know so that we can fix these issues that you're going through. Um, to accomplish it. And here's the things, by the way, based off of your responses that we're going to do to try to address this. And it was one person out of, at that time, I think it was like 70 people, you know, we've grown since then, you know, and that's a good metric, but it's still one person that we can help out, not burn out in, in some way, situation or form based on either the personal stuff or what's going on in real life. So, you know, or, or work, I don't mean, say personal isn't real life. Um, but uh, those are the things that we really try to do to focus on burnout. But it, it, it also, that last thing I'll hit on in this one, sorry to be long winded, but it also, it has to come from you as well you know, you have to recognize that you're burning out and that you have the symptoms of burning out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and that, that's, you know, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do my work. I'm procrastinating. I'm focusing on other things. I get a pit in my stomach when I think about it. You know, all these things can can lead to uh, burnout. And so every quarter, Kim, who runs our HR department, um, gives a, 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 you know, like a, a debrief of what burnout symptoms are and what to look for. Um, and, and, and again, how to reach out to us to help you know, promote you in a way that you're going to be successful and not burn out because we don't want that. We don't want that for any of our employees. No, I think so that's- it's so refreshing to hear as, as a business leader, the way you're um, the way you're supporting your employees through this, regardless of the industry that we're in. It's just so encouraging to hear genuine so leadership. So um, important for it, me. It, it is important for everyone who works in, in a company that the leaders genuinely mean it. It's not just a box ticking exercise. It's not just a case of, We've got our health and safety and our, our mental health awareness ticket. Really caring for your employees makes the difference because it means your employees care for you and will support Absolutely. you. It, it's, it's, I, I don't like to talk about companies as families. They're not. Families are families and companies are companies. But when you create a genuine relationship with the people you work for and work with, it makes everyone's lives better. Yeah. Really, really. I, I, if you haven't written a book yet, Dave, you need to. <laughs> I appreciate that. I thought about it quite a bit. I think, you know, applying what you learn from your own personal experiences can always help others. I, I, my, my whole purpose in life, this is not a facade. It's not something that I'm like saying one thing and doing the other. You can talk to any of our employees. Like, you know, when I hired, we hired a new COO to come in, a chief operating officer, which is, you know, our basically a number two in my company. Um, and we went through the interview process and all of our leaders went through the interview process and we spent, probably an absorbent amount of time that we probably didn't need to, but I'm focusing on that person's ability to understand our culture mm-hmm. and that that would be number one for us moving forward, no matter what, including profitability margins or anything else. Like, you know, culture is number one. And as long as that's understood and expected and our de- decisions are based off of our people, 
um, then we can't go amiss. We can't steer the ship in the wrong way. We'll always continue to grow and do awesome things because we have our people focused first and that people are humans and we make mistakes and we, you know, we, we get burned out and we have things that happen in our lives that cause major issues or health ailments, whatever it ends up being. We go through these bumps and ebbs and flows and everything else. And it's on us to recognize that and to help our folks, you know, um, get better and to have a happy life and everything else that goes along with it. And I hope to be able to replicate that, you know, for other organizations and things like that, because if you focus on people, your company is going to be successful. You know, it, it's going to work. It's going to operate. It's going to do a great thing. And guess oh, yeah. what? It's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things that you can ever possibly imagine because you care for your people. You're helping them day in and day out. You're changing people's lives. That's that's the most rewarding thing you can have in life, period. I think that's like Rob said, it's a really refreshing thing to hear. I mean, I work for a company that's kind of in the same, kind of got the same mindset, like awesome. really focused on culture and making sure people are happy at work. So yeah, I am, I am in total agreement. Um, but I think unfortunately we are at the end of the podcast because we've talked a lot. Um, we talk a lot, sorry. We talk a lot. No, well, I loved it. It was great. I've never listened to anyone more intently. Um, well, let's be honest, a podcast that people weren't talking during would be That's really actually a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. what we're doing people is staring at each other awkwardly wouldn't go well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, can do, we could do that for the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah. So, have you have you got a final thought? I mean, I think we were supposed to talk about mental health, but we covered a lot of topics. So, if you have a final thought on anything that we have covered in today's discussion, take, take care of yourself. You know, you only live this way life once. You know, your mind, your body, everything else that goes along with it. I'm obviously big on the whole fitness thing as of late. I made a whole change in my path, but I can tell you, taking care of my body, the exercise, and everything else has only helped me better. Um, you know, for my mental uh, brain as well, you know, your, your mind and body go hand in hand. So take care of yourself. Don't burn yourself out. Recognize when you start having issues that, you know, around, you know, mental health issues, you know, uh, around burnout, around, you know, uh, areas around imposter syndrome, where you don't feel like you're confident in yourself. Or again, you know, Rob broke it down. It's much more complex than just one specific thing. But, you know, have people to surround yourself with to be positive influences and role models that can help uplift you when you feel that you're doubting yourself or that you can't do something. And believe me, you know, I, I, I'm learning something new every day. I'm still a newbie in this industry, even though I've been in for over 20 years. You know, I learned something new from every single person that comes into here. Please share your experiences. Please share yourself, um, you know, and then be, you know, be honest and gentle and kind and, you know, accepting of others. I think uh, ultimately, if you can live by those principles, you're going to do awesome in this industry and be super successful. So thanks, Dave. Yeah. That was brilliant. 